and welcome to MLW Confusion. I'm your host Rob Kimmer, bringing you all that you may or may not need to know about Major League Wrestling and its television programming. Or at least I would be, but today is a very special occasion. This is a special edition of the podcast, not dropped on its normal date and time, because we have a fancy, fancy guest on the show. Um, if you're a fan of WCW Wrestling in the late 90s, or if you just got keen eyes on the wrestling product over the last 20 years, you will know this man. He is dangerous, Devin Storm. He is Tempest, but you might best know him as Crowbar. That's right, the Timeless One is coming up here on the show, and we are going to talk all sorts of crazy things, a lot of uh, character work, his time in ECW, amongst other things. So, without much further ado, let's just get right down to it. We'll get the ads out of the way, and we will just go ahead and do the show. So, be back with Crowbar. If you're like me, sometimes you need a pick-me-up to get you through the day. I drink Ray's Energy for that pickup. Ray's comes in a bunch of different flavors, and more recently, Italian ice, which is great, by the way. And it contains no sugar, so there's no crash after you drink it. And, really, like, best of all, if you go through me and go to wetrepsports.com, use my code CAS, you get 15% off your order. So... Also, be like Cass, drink Ray's energy. Hey everyone, we are back. It is time for our interview with a man that has been all over the world, has been in any wrestling company that has been that is notable, WCW, ECW, TNA, WWE, all of them. He's gone by many names, but all you really need to know is that he is timeless. He is Crowbar. Crowbar, how are you doing this morning? We're doing good, man. How about you? Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I'm getting along now that we've, we've pretended to uh, fix these uh, technical issues. Um, but it's great having you on. I've been a fan for a super long time. I don't know if I want to say how long, just because it'll, you know, age the both of us. Ah, that's fine. <laughs> I've been doing this 32 years, so it's, uh, I've, I've, I've been here a long time. Yeah. And I, I've been watching the product for my entire life so yeah I, I i will say i've you know don't don't remember chunk, chunks of it but you know uh you know anything anything over like 97 i'm okay-ish with i say as i swig my coffee most professional podcast here on the intro webs but we got a myriad of topics to cover and so we'll just kind of jump in i know some of these you'll you probably you know you've talked about ad nauseum but I've either missed it or like, I just, I just want to hear like my spin on it. Um, but starting like way back in the beginning, um, getting your training in uh, with Mike Sharp. Uh, he's kind of a name for some of the younger kids, you know, lost to the ages. Uh, but sure. he was one of these guys that was, you know, all over WWE television, like throughout the eighties and had, it was a character in his own right and very well respected outside of the ring. Um, what was it like training with him? Mike Sharp was a guy that, uh, if you watch Saturday or Sunday morning TV, you saw every weekend, he was a regular, you know, I, I hate the term, but job guy or enhancement. But when you had the opportunity, like, uh, here in New Jersey, they would air the MSG shows, the Madison square garden shows live. 
on on the house shows, they often gave Mike an opportunity to work, and that guy would wrestle 10, 15, 20-minute matches, and he would work hard. He would go nonstop the whole time. Uh, he would physically wrestle hard, but uh, a lot of people don't realize when you're physically wrestling hard and going at a fast, steady pace, Mike was also very boisterous, very vocal. And uh, I think a lot of guys take that for granted when you're doing athletic stuff and when you're moving, when you're hustling, to stop and be able to yell loud and throw your hands up and stuff like that, that takes energy as well. And Mike had such great cardio that he was able to wrestle uh, steady and hard, but still always have, uh, and he was very boisterous, very nonstop. And uh, until you do it, until you wrestle, you have no ap appreciation for how hard that is. Uh, Mike growled the entire match. If you remember back, you go back on WWE old school and you watch a Mike Sharp match, it's nonstop just noise of him growling and grunting and yelling at people and throwing his hands up. And uh, I've... Uh, I've gained so much more respect for Mike in these later years being a wrestler and realizing how hard it is to work the way he worked. Uh, he was never highlighted as a top guy, but he was an outstanding wrestler, a big imposing figure, big burly man. And uh, he, he was just, uh, although on TV, he was used mainly as an enhancement talent. Everybody knew Mike Sharp. You knew Mike Sharp. You knew uh, Steve Lombardi with the Brooklyn Brawler. You knew Tony Garea. You knew S.D. Jones. These guys weren't top guys, but they were guys you recognized and you knew. So uh, when I was about 16 years old, I became aware that Mike Sharp would be opening up a school in Brick Township, New Jersey, uh, about an hour and a half south of me. So uh, the second I found that out, uh, that was probably in the spring. I, I, I spent the entire summer, Friday, Saturday, Sunday working at a, a catering hall, double shifts morning and night to earn the money to pay for Mike Sharp's pro wrestling school. And he was just an, an amazing guy. There's so many stories about Mike. At the time, it seemed normal. But right now, looking back, it's it was a little crazy. Uh, if I go to work out now or if I go to work out with Danny Doring or any one of the guys around here, you know, you wear like a tank top or a t-shirt, shorts, you wear your knee pads, you wear your boots, and you go out there and you practice your craft. Mike Sharp showed up to train us, black boots, black trunks. Often he'd wear the forearm band. He'd oil up. He trained you like he was going to wrestle at Madison Square Garden. It was crazy. And uh, he was just a super neat freak. He, there's famous stories about him being this neat freak. It's all true. He had this giant hockey bag that he carried around and if anybody's ever played ice hockey they have these giant bags for with the equipment you know for the sticks and the pads and all the type of stuff and inside this giant bag were a series of ziploc bags it was like one of those russian egg toys where you open up one and then it's a smaller one and a smaller one as well everything was meticulous it was off the wall crazy but a sweetheart of, of, of a guy uh, I appreciate his work so much more now than I did back then. Uh, great, entertaining wrestler and, uh, you know, forever grateful uh, that I was able to go to his school. And, you know, that was my first step in learning my craft.
I love Mike. I love him more as an adult to be able to appreciate, you know, the little stuff he did. I've joked about it. I've made jokes about him being the, like the loudest wrestler in the business because everything he did on offense or selling, he was hollering out. So he'd holler out when he's punching someone. He'd holler out when he'd take a backdrop. And like, as an adult, I, I appreciate that little stuff so much more. And you're right about like the cardio stuff. Like I, you know, make a half living talking and just sometimes just talking could win you. I hate to think of doing like regular, like full on cardio and still having to project yourself theater style. And that's, that is just amazing to me. But I, and I, I thoroughly enjoy the, the story, the other stories of Mike, though I will, I will make, make the joke that like, from what I've heard, like, the reason his cardio is so good is that he exercised. Like I've heard that he exercised pretty much all all the time. Like if you, if yes. he, he wasn't standing still. He was exercising or yep. he know, had bands and bands and tubes and all this. He had all these kind of contraptions. You know, he he had theraband and theratube before for it was a thing. He had like these random hoses that looked like they were something from the seventies. He'd be out there stretching them and pulling them, and then and it wasn't your brand like like your theraband or you know, with the tubes, with the handles, it was just these random craziness. But he, and now if you go into a locker room before a match, you see guys with the bands, he was way ahead of his time. Especially now, if, you, if you're if you watching wrestling as a craft now, you know, any listener should go check out Mike Sharp matches. And, you know, we can, you know, laugh at him being the jobber, but really like to be a regular he jobber, amazing. like you, you, ha- you had to have, uh, you know, you had to make your opponent look good. And Mike, Mike could do that one way, shape or form. And then outside of the WWF slash E, like he was well-respected and got to be, you know, got to be higher up on the card and become a independent athlete. Yep. yep. And uh, on, on the independence, he, he, he was on every, every show locally. And uh, I, I actually, in the past few months, I worked with Richard holiday. And during the hmm. match, I called verbatim Mike Sharp choke. And I, uh, I put your head on the top rope. I put my left foot on the bottom rope. I put my leg over, over their head, grabbed rope, and I bounced up and down at the old Mike Sharp choke that nobody's probably used <laughs> since the 80s. And tell you, it, it, the people popped, and it, it was easy, but it looked cool because no one's seen it in so, so long. Wow. And we all, like especially me and Tommy, we just chuckled that I called the Mike Sharp choke. <laughs> <laughs> Love it going to move on move forward slightly um i wanted to bring up the uh nwa title tournament you're pretty still pretty fresh in your career you got the opportunity to uh wrestle for the nwa championship and i know nowadays the championship isn't looked upon with the reverence it did back in the day um Mm -hmm. but in 93 despite shane douglas throwing the belt down in the middle of the ring like the nwa was really trying to reestablish itself did you appreciate at the time at the time like kind of like you know the position that they kind of put you in even though you lost in the first round i i i was pretty much brand new you know maybe a couple years in greener than grass uh uh, but still doing a lot of flying around stuff that at, at that time, there's only a handful of guys doing it. So I had caught the eye of Tommy Fierro and who, who now runs ISPW, who introduced me to Dennis Carluzzo at that time, but took a liking to me, did incredible stuff for my career early on, especially. And uh, just being in that tournament with Tracy Smothers, it was a huge opportunity. And it was one of those things early on that helped me really move up that independent ladder. 
And what was it like working with Tracy? I love Tracy Smothers. He's one of my favorites. He, he, I say he, he might be one of the nicest, funniest guys that I've, uh, I've always seen so, so pleasant. And it's always, it, it was always just a pleasure to see him in, in the locker room. Just super nice guy. He, he always remembered that match. I had to be maybe eight, 18 or 19, maybe. And uh, we would still talk about that match. Uh, during that match, I went for an Asai moonsault. And I remember back then, the, from the ring to the guardrail was a very narrow thing. Now, in 2023, you know, for 49, 32-year experience, Chris Ford would have analyzed that that is, is a movie just shouldn't do there because it just doesn't fit. There's no room. Uh, it's it's going to be hard to thread that needle and make it look and do something else. But young, naive, full of piss and vinegar, Chris Ford trying to make a name for himself. He was going to try to make that Asa fit in that little space. And I, I, I went up and I kind of came down and to the side of Tracy and I smacked the floor. It's just you learn uh, with age comes experience, comes wisdom when i watch that even now I, I saw it not too long ago i'm like what the, what the hell was i thinking you know, what, there's and at, at, at that time there was probably four or five other outside moves that i did well but whatever it, it was in my head it was a big show i had to do that move that night it, and, and it was stupid <laughs> that that was the one that was the move that was going to make or break you and yeah it almost probably broke, broke you <laughs> <laughs> uh that's okay you're young and you bounce at those points in your life all right that that's yep. how that's yep. how the body works is your rubber when you're young and yep. now you know I, I you know turn my head funny and i'm down for the rest of the day not really that's hyperbole but yeah i would say like i, I loved uh, i love tracy uh, i do you know i do keep tabs on the end uh, on the nwa title especially kind of like nowadays and just going over its history even like through the 90s and early two, uh, 2000s is just kind of like amazing to see where the title has gone like even if we Absolutely. want to point and laugh at it but just like see the guys who's uh, who've had it and the ups and downs it's had since it broke away from what would become wcw speaking of wcw we'll touch on this very briefly but we'll skip over a good chunk of it uh 96 you got to come in uh, with wcw um in, at least from the records i managed to pull up you, you kind of started the party uh going against conan U.S. champion yep. at the time, uh, basically debuting uh, at Nitro, at least back, like back-to-back -back weeks or pretty close together. Yep. Uh, what was it like? Uh, you were still like, like what, maybe like four years into your career. Like how, what was that experience like? About four years in, into my career, I was a full-time student and uh, oh. going to school full-time and uh, balancing my wrestling on, on the weekend. So Having that opportunity at that time was just mind-blowing. At that time, it was the hottest show on TV. Um, I go to Nitro, and uh, Arn is on the show. I, I believe Ric Flair does an interview. Hulk was on the show. All, all these top guys. And I'm, and that's when Nitro was an hour, and I'm one of the matches on that hour. Uh, it was just an unbelievable experience. Whenever I have seen Conan in the past and recently, you know, he's he, he was so good to me. I I I was an up and coming guy from the Indies. You know, I, I had built a good reputation on the, in, with the Indies, but Conan was essentially Hulk Hogan in, in Mexico. That's who he, who he was. And uh, he, he allowed me to do a lot of great stuff, took care of me, allowed me to shine. And uh, 
know, that was just, it was an unbelievable, unexpected experience. Uh, after those matches, I, uh, I did Saturday night a couple of times with Eddie, uh, Eddie Guerrero once, which was kind of neat, uh, beyond neat, you know, and, uh, it, it, it was just a very surreal experience, you know, it, being full-time in school and flying out, out to TV, it, it just wasn't a regular occurrence, you know, and, and at that time there was no on online classes. There was no, it was, you went to class. So, uh, whenever I was asked to go to TV, I would, uh, I, I would go to my teachers. I would find out what my future assignments were. I would get them done. You know, going to TV didn't affect my grades at all. And that's honestly, that's even more impressive considering how travel is like, it's not gotten any be much better now, but even, you know, just bounced around back in the, uh, back in the early nineties. Um, and just, I mean, I respect anyone who has to like, who actively travels to wrestle while still maintaining either, you know, a school, uh, we'll call it a scholastic career or mm -hmm. uh, like a regular nine to five, like a full-time job in the process because traveling is such a hassle and then getting back, coming back, you know, Monday or, you know, however your work schedule comes out, like big props to everyone who can travel like that. So I just wanted to touch on that briefly, but you spent a majority of the year in ECW. Mm. um where like and i'm and i've watched a handful of the matches i could find on youtube i could probably find more if i re-up for the wwe network but i hate peacock but like it, even like in a company that you know had a little bit of everything with with your with your dangerous attire at the time you definitely stuck out stood out amongst everyone else because not ever even if the people were flying like not everybody was colorful everyone was still kind of in the drab of grunge yeah and either yeah. just wearing black or white and like yes black featured heavily into your you know into your uh outfit as well but like you're rocking the neon lightning bolts and all that yeah. sort of good stuff uh but that's me get off course you know but how did you end up in ecw Going back to the gear, I w I was never blessed with uh, a good physique. Naturally, I, I had to work very very hard. Uh, I had parents that liked a lot of comfort food, and uh, they, they kept the fridge stocked. So, although I was athletic in high school, I played football. I I always had like a like a softer belly, uh, a bigger belly. So earlier on in my career, you know, I think I've always had a good awareness for presentation how to myself with the best and at that time it was early on in my career I knew I had to learn my craft learn my moves learn my psychology I'm still learning moves I'm still learning psychology anybody that says that they stop is wrong uh but uh my body was developing very very slowly so my weakest part was up here and here so I wore a bodysuit and uh I came up up to make it kind of flashy you know a little uh with the zigzags, the lightning bolts and the fringe and all, all, all this stuff. So uh, that's kind of how I hid the fact that my body sucked at that time. Uh, but uh, I get the ECW and uh, I, at that time, was a huge fan of, of the product. I, I, I've always been a fan of like the wrestling mixed with hardcore. I, uh, I call it the Lynn Van Dam Sabu style. Uh, for lack of a better word, garbage wrestling where I, a bunch of craps dumped in the ring and guys just whack each other with it. I'm not a fan of that at all. Uh, I'm more of a fan of when you have a match that starts out wrestling and slowly it becomes more intense and it breaks down and 
you use objects that uh, what I say naturally occur at ringside, a guardrail, maybe uh, but, uh, an extension cord wire, the bell, uh, chairs, you know, pulling up the mat to ex expose a floor. Tables are just grandfathered in now for whatever mm -hmm. reason, there's a pile of tables under a wrestling ring and we don't question it, but that they're just there now. Mm -hmm. I always liked that style. I was very encouraged by going there. I was like, wow, this is going to be great. This is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I arrive at ECW and I just don't fit in. Uh, I don't fit the culture at all. Uh, my school books are often hidden. You know, sometimes they went missing completely. They would never, you know, come back. I had to buy new ones. Uh, there were incidents where... Uh, I always say that I'm probably the first guy that brought video games to the hotel room. Uh, I would bring my Sega or my Nintendo and I would find a way to hook, hook it up to the back of the, the hotel TV. And when guys were going out, tearing it up, being ex extreme, I, now nah, I'm, I'm going to hang out here and just play my games. I've, I had my game system thrown across a hotel room because I didn't want to go out. So it was a really, I learned a lot there in the ring. I learned a lot. Politically, uh, from for pro wrestling, I learned a lot about the business. At that time, I was very much naive, you know. And even to this day, admittedly, I enjoy pro wrestling. I love pro wrestling. I never got into the cutthroat aspect of pro wrestling, but I learned in East ECW how, like, remember, cruel the business could be, uh, and it really tested my love and my passion for wanting to do it. There were several times when I said, "Hey." Uh, this kind of sucks. Do I really want to do it? And ultimately, when I thought on it, the answer was yes, I'm going to keep doing it. So, uh, you know, in this day and age, they would probably, everybody would be probably online posting about their experiences and how bad it was. And this person did this, this person. Did. That wasn't a thing back then. Uh, you took it, you learned from it, you absorbed it. Uh, similar to the way you got screamed at by a football coach and, uh, you know, bullier guys on the, uh, with the football team. It made me a better, stronger person, not just in wrestling, but in life. Uh, so in hindsight, I have never changed any, any of those experiences at the time it sucked. Uh, but I believe experiences like that make you a better, stronger person. And I, I believe they, what they build character. You, you have the choice when you're faced with incidents like that, you're either going to let them break you or you're going to let them make you a better, stronger person, make them learn, make yourself learn from that experience. And uh, my experience there helped me with my in, in ring because I was still green. So I like I did learn wrestling, a lot of stuff being in ECW, but I learned a lot about, you know, the, like I want to say the dark or the the more cruel backstage real life politics that revolve around pro wrestling. And that's something that's just kind of now coming to light. We'll call it in general is like how I don't necessarily want to use the word toxic because <laughs> it hurts me as a fan to say something like that, but like how toxic professional wrestling could be behind the scenes. And we're just kind of seeing this. It's coming to the forefront now with shows like dark side of the ring. And then of course people are, you know, far enough yeah. ahead that people are actually kind of coming out in like interviews such as this to bring it up? I do think it's a whole lot better. Uh, when my son was first born in 2007, I had everybody, oh, is he going to be a wrestler? Be, Absolutely not. He's never going to be a wrestler. This business is too cruel. I managed 
to make it through and have a, a successful life outside and it's great, but I don't want my kid exposed to this. And then as we got into later, you know, 2014, 17 now, uh, as I'm more involved again in pro wrestling, I've seen a, a lot of it's changed. There's a whole lot less drug use, a, a whole lot less toxic behaviors. Uh, the whole culture's changed a lot. So uh, you, you, the kids go out, they have a couple beers. You know, I've seen sporadically people get involved with the things they shouldn't be involved with, you know, the drugs and all, but it's, uh, for the most part, compared to when I broke in and when I was act active in uh, with the, with the mid nineties, early two thousands, the culture has changed so much to where now, if someone asks you, would you let your kid do it? I would say, yeah, it's, it, it's a much less toxic culture than it was. It's definitely cleaned up. And I think a huge part of that is pro wrestlers have seen a lot of guys we grew up watching dead and uh it largely it's due to the toxic culture and the lifestyle of that time and i and i, th and I think we're seeing this in the you know society as well but the people some of the people that were subjected to these ne the negative stereotypical behaviors will say will say have grown up and instead of like perpetuating this went like no this sucked for me let's you know, let's try to break this cycle. I mean, we see, we like using the example as a punishment of, uh, uh, for children, you know, the concept of like spanking, you know, back in the day, you could just, you know, slap your kid around. That's how you learn your lesson. And, you know, nowadays, you know, you can't lay a hand on him uh, because, you know, a lot of people finally just kind of realize like, no, this didn't actually make me better, a better person just made me afraid to do things. Um, yep. But like, but we're, but, but back to the point, you know, off the soapbox part of it, you know, that's, I think that's what we're seeing now. We're, oh, and we're seeing like some of like the fans that went just like saw the, I don't say the cool parts, but just like saw, you know, the business as the business and fell in love with it. And it, and it becomes, it had become so popular thanks to say like the attitude era and whatnot that the people that may not have traditionally gotten into the business to begin with, who were obviously still great at it had come in and so now some of like the nerds who may have been more athletic are into it and they don't want to go out and party that well as you put it like you want to sit and play video games or sit and do whatever and i, I played video games and i read star wars novels those <laughs> are my two things well you get the mcfoley route where you talk about like watching like tearjerker movies and listening to tori amos and that like that's how he got into the that's how he wound down and that's also how he got into like cactus jack mode somehow yeah but Looking over your kind of ECW run in general, moving out out of the locker room into on stage, like you mentioned, learning so much from the guy uh, from the company, and really like looking at the list of people you worked with the with an ECW, like you went the full gamut of went from the quote unquote like garbage wrestling, going from guys like with uh, Axel Rotten, who is severely underrated. Like we can talk about him like you know all day good and bad but like dude was an underrated worker uh when he wasn't just throwing chairs around and then going to the other end of the spectrum like you got to work with uh, dr death steve williams um and johnny smith too yeah um like so what how was it going from the dichotomy of like the ecw hardcore style and then get and then having to turn around and have these matches with say dr death and johnny smith a lot of those matches, you know, let's be fair, uh, you know, Johnny Smith or Lay Doctor, they were very fast matches. I was very low down on the, <laughs> right. the food chain, so there really wasn't a lot of thought going on there. Uh, 
I really got a chance more to work with guys when they would put me with a Mikey Whipwreck, a Hack Myers, an El Puerto Ricano, guys, guys like that. Uh, I, I, I had a longer than expected match with, with the Sandman, which was actually, actually a whole lot of fun. Uh, Louis Spicoli, they were just fast opening matches. And uh, I got to do, do a whole little bit. So as much as I, I would like to say that I had to shift from gear to gear and put a lot of thought into it, uh, I would pretty much what I do, um, unless it was a match with another, you know, middle to undercard guy. Okay, that, that, that is fair. Throughout at least at least in the early part of your run, uh, they paired you up with Damian Kane. Uh, yep. For those of you who are not familiar familiar with his work and whatnot, how did that come about? And like, how how was how did how did that on screen relationship kind of like help or hinder your ECW run? I would love to give a great backstage story, but it was hey, uh, you're working with Damian tonight, and that was about the extent <laughs> of it. Yeah, that's it. You're with Damien Kane and, and the bad crew now. So that was kind of it. Uh, you know, some shows we were together, other shows we weren't. Uh, but they're kind of just, you know, sometimes when you watch TV and, and you see a tag team of guys just thrown together or, or a pairing thrown together, and, and you can see it's just a, a bunch of guys they don't know what to do with. So they just throw them together and, and see if it sticks. And uh, well, that's pretty much what we were. That is fair. And I, I appreciate the, those moments too. I, I, you know, cheap plug on this, but like, I've just started kind of like researching like tag teams that I felt were just thrown together and just kind of like seeing the like weird ebb and flow of their existence. Uh, I am an unabashed fan online of bad attitude, Bobby Eaton yeah. and Steve Kern, sure. because like, you know, they're great, to, you know, great. They had great careers, but by the time like they just was put together randomly in the mid nineties, like yeah. is like no one knew, knew what to do with them outside of put a tuxedo on them and let Skinner grow a really awesome yeah. solid. You brought up, uh, brought up like you love the ECW style. Was this your first proper experience wrestling hardcore regularly or were you doing that in the indies prior to that? Prior, prior to going to ECW and prior to going to WCW actually, uh, but the matches that got me noticed that got me brought to Nitro the first time was I had two matches on, on the independence for the N, uh, NWA Dennis Carluzzo with Sabu. Uh, one in, in the Woodbury Armory, one in uh, Yardville, New Jersey. And those were the actual, those were two matches that really got me out there and got me the notoriety. They were highly spoken about. We tore the house down both times. I, I always say it as, as well. It was, uh, Sabu was really hot at, at that time. He, he uh, he, he allowed a green, both in outfit and experience, some green kid really, really shine and do what he could do. And uh, had it not been for Sabu there, you know, my career never would have taken off. If it wasn't for Sabu being so generous, Kanye never would have been a crowbar. So those were, I, I always liked that style, but I really got to do it a lot with him. And uh, well, that's kind of where that, I, I love going down that path. Uh, uh, we worked and, you know, the tables and the chairs and all that type of stuff. And and I also watched the product as as well, ECW. And, you know, you watched uh, the Japan stuff, the FMW, and, and, and I just became a fan of that more extreme style. And you're still doing it now at a high level, you know, 30 years into the business. How how has your attitude towards hard, hardcore wrestling changed as, say, a 25-year-old now at 45 in terms of how you come into a match, how you prepare the spots or how you work the match. I think I do it 
better now. I actually believe, and I have several people that tell me that my, I believe I'm putting out a better in-ring product now than in, in WCW. I, I, I believe I'm wiser about it. Uh, I choose moves that look ath athletic, that look, for lack of a better word, cool, uh, that look violent. But at the end of the day, they can be done safely. I know that I can do them safely. I know that I can take care of myself and the other person. So uh, that's where the real art form of pro wrestling comes in. If you can do stuff that looks crazy, that looks violent, that looks athletic, that that, that makes the viewer say, wow, how that, that looked really cool. And it looked like he killed them. And both guys could come out on screen. That's a huge win. So uh, I feel like I'm a... I feel like my matches make more sense now. I I, uh, I feel like they're better now. I, I feel like I'm making better choices. And and I think I'm helping a lot of the younger guys to make better choices. When I get called for a booking, they ask me if, uh, you know, of course, being a veteran, you know, they're used to saying, oh, we'll put you with so-and-so. It'll be easy. I don't want it to be easy. <laughs> I enjoy going hard. Uh, I get a kick out of the fact that I could hang with guys that are half my age and I, and they don't have to slow down at all. They, they don't have to accommodate the old guy. They don't have to slow down what they normally do to accommodate the old guy. Cause this old guy can do every, everything that they do. And I have my own repertoire of stuff that looks cool. What I do bring to the table is I think I've made a lot of these guys, at least when they work with me. Uh, I make the matches more safe. There are a lot of moves out there that look athletic, that look cool, but th there's a bad risk reward curve on them. And uh, guys that know me in certain areas know my shtick. If, if, if somebody says, I'm going to do this move and I know it's not safe or that the risk reward curve is bad, I said, we're not going to do that. I'm not being lazy though. We're not going to do that, but I am happy to offer you, offer you Five high spots of equal or greater value that will make you look just as good. And it's moves that probably look even better, but, but you know, the with the mechanics, the physics of the move make it way safer. So uh, very rarely do I say no unless it's unsafe. But if I do say no to something, I am going to offer you at least five alternatives that are even better. So I... I feel like my matches now are a whole lot better. I, I feel like they make more sense. Uh, still go super, super hard. Still work really hard out there, but they're just way safer. And I try to teach the other guys to be safe. And I, and I will agree. And I, I will say, as someone who does thoroughly enjoy the garbage wrestling, I do enjoy me a death match here and there. You know, there is an art to simplicity and just making the little things seem big. We kind of referenced this with Mike Sharp, but I, you know, going through my due diligence, kind of doing some prep work for this. Uh, one of the, one, there was a spot, I can't remember who you were working, maybe, maybe it's Buku Dao. Um, but just, you did a Vader bomb off the guardrail outside the ring, you know, and like, is it the most hardcore spot? No, but like, just the fact that like, it was, you know, it was different. You don't see too many Vader bombs outside the ring because, I mean, let's face it, there's not always an, a good area to yeah. Vader bomb off. Yeah. You know, for me, it you know, it's a luxury to go to a place that has guardrails, to be frank. But just seeing something like that, I mean, that's technically hardcore. You use the guardrail. The arena floor may or may not have mats on it. Like, that's, 
there there's there's something beautiful in the simplicity of that and really comparatively speaking like it's a pretty safe move overall you're yeah. just if you know. you look at my outside offense now uh Bader bomb off the guardrail with the guy sitting in a chair a dive with the guy laying on on a guardrail uh that running clothesline on a chair it's it's all moves uh throughout my career i've been dropped way too many times and it's not intentional it just ha ha happens those are moves that i know that i i can hit i can take care of myself safely and i can take care of my opponent safely uh i don't have to depend on as somebody to catch me i don't have to worry about somebody moving the wrong way and missing me they're they're direct moves and i had this conversation the other night watch wrestling now there's a lot of incredible looking outside the ring dives with corkscrews and front flips and back flips and this and that when you look at my outside my outside the ring moves you see contact if the guy's sitting in the chair and i close on him you see my arm hit him and you see sweat splash if i splash somebody on a guardrail you see my chest hit him chest to chest you see the vader bomb i land on the person and that's just what i prefer maybe i'm old maybe he's some an old school fan but you see contact and then if you look at and it's incredibly athletic the younger modern wrestling fans don't seem to mind it but if you see some of these corkscrew slips to the floor the guys do this incredible move in the air and they barely graze the guy's shoulder and five people fall down you know the the dive is great it's incredible but you don't get that that you don't see the contact you do with my stuff. And I'm not saying it's better or worse, but uh, you know, as I said, the modern wrestling younger fan don't seem to mind it. They love just seeing the athletic move. Uh, I, I like seeing contact. And with my outside the ring offense, you see body to body contact. Oh, I uh, fully agree on that front. Like that's that's one of my old man yells at clouds opinions. If like if there's one thing I could just remove from wrestling right now in terms of like, just the match structure is like dives to the outside, just because every match seems to have one. They're they're not always done well. Like again, you like you mentioned like the corkscrews and no one really gets touched. So the guy corkscrews basically lands on his feet and everyone goes like bowling pins. But again, that's you know that's old man yelling it's at a different thing. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> It's a different it's, styles and and I went to like like uh, like it's just different styles and like I said the newer younger audience is totally okay with it and it's no I just do something different and I like yeah. something different. Oh, and there's room for it all. Like I can sit here and complain yeah. about I can complain about something till I'm blue in the face. But that's the beauty of professional wrestling is I compare it like I still compare it to the circus. If you yeah. don't like you know if you don't like the trampeze artists. You can check out the clowns. You don't like the clowns, you know, here, you know, here's the fire eater, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, if I don't like the fly guys, I can go watch the guys who are doing, you know, strong style, or I can go watch, you know, the weapons, heavy brawls and all that sort we of stuff. We brought up the death match before uh, in this past winter for Danny DeManto, uh, what's it called ICW. I actually did a couple chain matches. If, if, if you want, you can find them there on uh what what's it called the uh, IWTV and uh but I did a hardcore wrestling match within the chains but made it a little bit more hardcore so I I did my style of a death match oh and that's and that's beautiful again like I any like death matches get 
you know, a bad rap, but that's because a lot of times, well, let's face it, not always the best workers do the death matches, yeah. but you know, you can tell a story, you can build up to things yeah. within, within the concept. Like, do we wince at the concept of like light tubes because things can go horribly, horribly wrong quick with light tubes? Yes. But you know, you can make it make sense. Um, so quick question on that. So, I mean, you've already been, always been hardcore for the most part. You know, what, gave, what, got, uh, what got you into the death match? Uh, I'm great friends with Danny. I, I, I've known Danny for years. We've worked together uh, for years. Great guy. I always love seeing him. When, when he broke his leg, he, uh, he came to me for physical therapy. Uh, I did his rehab. Uh, he knows I'm not a huge deathmatch fan, and so he called me and asked me if I would want to do. Uh, I wasn't aware of the fact that he was running though, so he goes, "Hey, I'm doing a show here. You want to come do the chains?" And I was like, "What? Like a chain match? Like where the guys?" He goes, "No, the chains." He goes and and he sent me a video, and they have chains instead of ropes. And uh, I I had a few stipulations. I no guys on those shows bleed a whole lot. They use tacks. I, I go. I have to go on first or second. I'm not bleeding, and I don't want to be roll, rolling around in anybody's blood. I'm 49 years old. I got two kids. I got a wife. I got a business. Uh, I, I get that that in that genre of pro wrestling, the guys that do it, they kind of throw caution to win. I'm not bleeding, and I'm, and I'm not rolling around in anybody's blood. So me on before the blood, I'll work my ass off. I'll do a hardcore match within the chains and I'll make it make sense. So the first one was against Manders and then, uh, and the second one was Tommy Vendetta. And then I, I forget who, who the third one was, but it, it was a whole lot of fun, you know, a whole, whole lot of fun. Oh, you brought, man, I can't get away from that dude. Uh, myself and the one called Manders yeah. are, are hated rivals. <laughs> I can't get rid of I can't get rid of the guy. He moves out east. I thought I was done with him because he's a local boy to my area. He yeah. he, he started he started out uh in well, he's a Seth Rollins trainee and I actually live in the Quad Cities. So I I've watched his career and that man and I last time he came to town he run me out of a show that I helped sponsor. So uh, we're enemies. <laughs> I, if he if he ever comes back I'm going to like amass a stable of guys to take yeah. him out. Uh, but there, there's my Manders rant. I thought I was going to get one week away from Man talking about Manders somehow, but nope, we're not doing that. But joking aside, actually, I find that like that part fascinating. Go going in, you know, uh, nearly 30 years into into your career, and then kind of doing we'll call it deathmatch styling. But I know, like, I've heard the stories of various guys who are either aren't hardcore or aren't deathmatch guys, just doing you know once at some point just to say they did it. Uh, if if you go back, it's on YouTube. I, I worked for GCW's sister company. I believe it was the spring of 2020. It's called uh, JCW After Hours. Worked with Ricky Shane Page. And we actually used a gigantic bundle of light tubes. I'm not going to pull back the, the curtain completely, but I went through a gigantic bundle of light tubes and it was completely safe. I came out completely unscathed and the people saw something Really, really cool. Uh, th there was a big bundle of taped up light tubes on top of a guardrail, and he power bombed me through all these light tubes. Oh. Look it up. It, it, it looks I've, pretty cool. I say, I, you know, say I, I, I have like a handful of the streaming services. I, it's probably on one of them. If it's not on, it's on YouTube. TV, it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Even better. Yep. Like, I, I'm all for free. 
but since we're kind of jumping ahead to uh, this part of your career anyway, uh, the last handful of years, like you've really, I mean, you've never full on retired, retired, but like you've really kind of come back to prominence and wrestled, uh, you know, more matches and more higher profile matches. Uh, what got you back into the business as much as it had, as you have? After WCW, I uh, had a handful of dark matches uh, for WWE, just never got picked up. T- TNA, I was there for a cup of coffee. And uh, th- at, at, at that time, there was just really WWE, TNA, and there really wasn't a spot in either, either one of them for me. It just didn't work out. And I always, you know, you hear people, you keep beating on that door till they op- open it up. You know, sometimes the door's not going to op- open up. And you need to know when that door is not going to open up and find something else to do. And no may not be no indefinitely, but it may be no for that period of time. And, and I identified, okay, nothing's going on here. Uh, I'm going to focus my energies. I'm going to op- open up my PT, practice, start my business, be a family man, have a couple kids, and I'm going to stay involved in wrestling just enough to stay in it and current and enjoy myself. So I stayed locally like very locally for many many years you know maybe a half hour from my house an hour from my house if you were a casual wrestling fan and you weren't on the northeast coast of uh or northern new jersey you probably assumed that i retired or i died (laughs) one of the two because i just wasn't out there that and then uh i was putting more and more time into my business getting into it i still love wrestling but you know you have people around you, friends, family, this and that. Your business is doing so good. This that you should just stop wrestling. You're getting older, this, that, the other other thing. And you start to listen to these people, and it's not malicious, it's out of caring. These are people that surround you and looking out for your well-being. And I was starting to consider uh retiring at that period of time. And then uh I actually worked with a guy, Joey Janela, that you know well. And uh, for GCW at that time, Ricky Utazo called me, and he was running a show literally five minutes from my house. He goes, I have this young guy, Joe, Joey Janela. I, I think you'll like him a lot. Uh, you could probably work with him and have a really, really good match. Uh, as I said, I, I was just involved in wrestling a little bit here and there. Did not know of him or anything like that. And, and then I got a few videos. I, I always do my research and see what my opponent's about. And uh, so I did my homework on Joey Janelle. And uh, we do this match, which is literally five minutes from my house. Uh, we have a great match. We have a whole lot of fun. I, I at that time, had probably been away from the ring for over a year, maybe, maybe Eight, eight months, nine months, potentially a year. And uh, we, we go out there, we tear it up. We have a great time. And in 2014, that fire is now reignited. I, I want to do more wrestling-wise, more and more. So uh, I, I was getting into a phase where I, I was considering get, getting out of pro wrestling completely just because I saw no outlet or... I was enjoying myself, but I, you know, you start listening to the people around you. Then I work with Joey, and then all of a sudden, this fire is now renewed. So uh, that happens, and then I start to develop more and more of the character. I uh, prior to Crowbar, I was doing Devin Storm on WCW Saturday Night, 
and uh, it was a darker gothy character. And then that got s- switched up and changed when they decided to put me with uh, David Flair. And uh, so after WCW, after spending time on, on D&Ds, I revisited that and tried to make it a little darker. And like I came up with the kilt and uh, with the corset and you know, the ink, which, you know, that has nothing to do with wrestling, but it, it, it just kind of fit. And uh, I, I came up with this idea of like a, like a woman in, in a goth gown with a big bodyguard and a half mask, which if you go to my uh, the Twitter page, you can see the video. And uh, the first person that gave me the opportunity to do that was Luke Hawks for Wildcat. And I worked Buku you know, first, and then we came back with the following year, and, and he 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 was the first guy to let me really do this gimmick and really get it out there both times in Philadelphia. So we're, we're playing around with that, and then uh, summer of 2019, uh, I take a show in Maryland. I see Kevin Eck there, who was a good friend of mine from WCW. He, uh, when I was in WCW, he wrote for a WCW a magazine and we always used to just talk about wrestling and you know certain things we like certain things we didn't like just ideas that were working and we just we just hang out and just talk out of you know like the mainstream wrestling and stuff he had gone on to write for you know to me he also was on uh creative for honor so I did this show he was very impressed he goes well I can't believe you're still doing this 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 and this you still look great uh let's maybe try to bring you to ring of honor so fast forward to uh fall of that year i was supposed to do uh what's a pay-per-view called Un- unsanctioned or, or something like that uh the original plan was to do me versus pco and uh looked like it was going to happen and that was changed by uh Paul cabana they actually let him book the show himself and uh he changed me up for Dan Math, which also ended, ended up being a great, great match. And it ended up getting Dan a spot there for a while. But then uh, I finally got to do my thing there in December of 2019. You no, know, I had the bodyguard. I had uh, with the valet. We did the same gimmick that we did for Wildcat. Uh, worked with Eli Isom and uh, had a really great time, a really great showing. And uh surprised a lot of people i think at that time uh didn't expect me to do the stuff that i was doing uh at my age a lot of bringing the veteran that people have for a while they they assume it's just going to be a phone in match you know something easy and uh me and eli Isom tore it up and then we came back the following month for uh free enterprise with the pay-per-view and then the world shut down and uh it all came to a halt, a screeching halt. Uh, we had done two matches for Ring of Honor. I was really, I was like, wow, this is really cool. It was really invigorating, and it really lit my fire even more. And then COVID hits, and uh, it, 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 it all kind of stops. And uh, during COVID, there were shows going on. If you look, there were small indie shows, people wearing masks wrestling had shot down but if you looked around it there were still shows as i said before i own a a physical therapy 
business. I am a physical therapist. I deal with patients regularly. And if you went somewhere where there was a crowd, you had to quarantine for two weeks and this and the other thing. If I had even tried to wrestle, it would have shut my business down. So I had to make a conscious effort. Okay, I can't wrestle. I have to stop. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to do my real job, you know, my real career, my uh, job and run my business. So I had to find a way to get my wrestling fixed. And I started coming up with the timeless promos with the wine. And I kind of did it on a whim as, as a goof. And uh, it became a thing at that really, really weird. Yeah, it was really weird. It was really fun. But at, at that time, it was my only pro wrestling outlet. At a in a perverse way, I I think COVID for those who really wanted it was probably like the best thing to happen to them. I mean, it's horrible to say like that it took a global pandemic, but it forced some guys who still wanted to be relevant while not wrestling to really focus on the character aspect. I look at guys Absolutely. like I look at um to throw a few guys out there, uh, Warhorse. Before the pandemic, Warhorse was just kind of a generic, like, I fight everyone, I wrestle good. And then, like, yeah, he was kind of evolving towards that direction, but, like, but now he's doing, like, all these, like, weird workout videos of how he's, you know, he's almost the second coming of Ultimate Warrior, except yeah. a bit more intelligible. Um, and then you, at the other end of the spectrum, you have Danhausen, who, as he put it, would wrestle as generic neckbeard number nine. And then, you know, thanks to kind of like the pandemic, he kind of like, what he, some of the stuff he's already building to anyway, like he got to ramp that up and have these basement videos of him in character, reviewing movies, reviewing products and whatnot. And I will full out admit, like, I, I knew you never, I knew you didn't retire, but you're out of like overall my sight because I live out in the middle of nowhere. But the timeless videos is what you know got uh, brought you back into my attention you know right post pandemic i'm like that is crazy go nuts man especially for someone who's mostly like you know seeing you as dangerous devin storm which is you know a, a 180 from that character because he was pretty kind of manic and whatnot and then yeah. of course the original iteration of crowbar being you know that poop crazy and jumping around and then even like do catching some of your tna run um you're you know you're still you know you're still like it was a bit closer to this character but like i'm like he reinvented himself totally again like this is this is different this is this is great and especially like i mean this this is me looking into it uh, too much into it but going from like the video and like well the dichotomy of the video like some of the videos itself going from you with the uh, with the snifter and then juxtaposing it with uh, you know, ran, uh, the quasi-random acts of violence of you, you know, the Vader bomb off the guardrail, yeah. you know, your, your, your you know, your uh, topes and whatnot. Like, it was just, I, I loved, uh, like, just this calm demeanor of, like, of you just sitting there basically like, like, you know, th you know, things get better with age, like fine wa uh, wine, and now I'm in control. I do, you know, I wrestle who I want, when I want, and then I'll, you know, here's you crashing into somebody in a chair. Here's your uh northern light suplex with a chair on the guy's back it was great and you know you said you're kind of moving that direction but what you know was there a specific impetus for going to this i don't want to call that it idea time? that idea was always there and uh one of the guys most responsible for it was uh i was hanging in my pool one summer with danny doring 
Bull James and I believe Guido was there and we're all kind of talking and they all make fun of me because, and I'm not being snarky at all. I, I have a great life outside of wrestling, the business, the healthcare and all that type of stuff. And no one could figure out why I still like beating my body up or do, doing this crazy thing I do. Tom, I, I, I can't remember exactly what year it was. He goes, be Chris Ford if you were a prick. So he goes, you have all this, but you still can't walk away from this addiction to violence. So you're this smart guy that we all know you're this smart guy, but he goes, you like doing this crazy shit for whatever reason, you can't get away with it. Make that your character. And that was in the back of my head for a while. And uh, during the pandemic, that's what came out. And what the timeless moniker actually came from, I, you got to look it up. I believe it was 2012. I did Ring of Honor in, in Baltimore, Jim Cornette, who, who did a lot for my career. Uh, I, I, I had a dark match and it was a match when I, I, I was supposed to have a singles match for TV. Michael Elgin came in and he runs me off and I leave. But uh, as I was getting changed in, in the back, Jim Cornette comes up, he goes, well, God damn, he goes, you look great. The timeless Devin Storm. And he walked away. And that just also stuck in the back of the, I got the little flash drive back there and that moniker just stayed and um, and it reared its head seven years later. Oh, that. So that basically is... it's, yeah, it's, I, I, I am a cultured man, a man of fine things, but uh, when I put my tights on, I like to be very violent and I'm, addicted to it and i can't walk away from it and that's it in in, in a nutshell i guess well and and i like and I, and I love that dichotomy like i even in like my pop culture for me like i i you see that a lot especially in psychological thrillers and or horror movies you know you got like american psycho you have you know the psycho yuppie who day to day is dressed to the nines and has the very regimented like workout program and then what does he do at least maybe in his head like they leave it ambiguous but he goes out and slaughters people Hannibal Lecter is a man of refined taste and culture and culture unfortunately that taste is for you know human yeah. flesh but that's what uh Kevin Sullivan says when I speak to him I still speak to him you know regularly he goes you're fucking Hannibal Lecter that's who, who yeah <laughs> and he's uh and and it just works, you know, it, it like just works with the promos, some are more serious, some are more comical, but when we get in, into the in-ring, it's there's definitely a dichotomy of this very cultured, well-to-do man that likes to find things in life. And then when I put my gear on and I'm ready to wrestle, it's just pure violence. Yeah. And, you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but I am here for it. I'm going to, you know, wait, wind things down. It's been close to an hour. I do want to touch just, we, we, we've referenced repeatedly uh, your PT, you know, your physical therapist by trade. Um, and that's, you know, what you, it's what you do when you're not putting on the tights and being violent. Uh, how does the physical therapy like affect what you do in ring? Like having this knowledge of how the body works do you translate it at all in terms of like taking care of yourself in the ring or doing any sort of 
offensive maneuvers does that carry over at all? Well, I'm 32 years in, and if if you ask many of, of the people in in the business that know me or who, who or who have seen me work recently, I'm doing a lot of the same stuff that I did 20 25 years ago, and without getting too involved because it gets too I, like I've uh, I've told the story before, and it just gets too in in the weeds with the particulars, but having the knowledge uh, of how to treat things when there are small problems and prevent them from becoming large problems is really what has enabled me to keep going at the level that I do all, all these years, not just in ring injuries, but how I spend my, you know, uh, what you do on a daily basis, like the way you sit, the way you transfer, the way you move from position to position, you know, bending the right way, all all these things that you do throughout life, I incorporate into my regimen and it's helped me to avoid uh, breaking my body down. And it's enabled me to stay doing what I do. Often guys retire, because their backs go. You've seen guys at the at these conventions are hunched over, they're walking around their backs all messed up. And uh, I am, uh, that's one of the things that I really, really watch for well, my low back. You know, thank God there hasn't been any major issues at all and i i really credit that to just my knowledge of the human body and how to treat things you know and again uh solve small issues problems while they're small and not allowing them to you know they become more involved or more serious you know uh i've worked with my with my wrestling brethren <laughs> You know, some have been very overt about it. They'll post and, and I'll share those posts. Uh, but there's a lot, I've had quite a few people, large players, big players for major companies. And these guys get hurt. And when you're in the middle of a push or in the middle of a major storyline, if you go to the office and you let them know that you have an injury, often they'll put the brakes on it. They'll put that on hold. Or they'll just end that storyline all together. I've worked with many major players, and I've helped them work around their in, in injuries and uh, enabled them to continue working through their injuries while they're hurt. And uh, it's completely confidential. I, I I can't speak about it because of you know that's their private information. But there's been quite a few guys out there that have had issues going on that they didn't want to report to the office and I've helped them get through it and continue with their storylines. Uh, and that, and that is awesome. And then tailoring this kind of like an offshoot. I know you've talked about it at length online, but have you ever thought about like making it, you know, pushing it further or making a series out of it, but you talked about how doing uh, the neck um, bridges is terrible yes. for you. Uh, have yeah. you ever thought about like going, like taking that, you know, and making like a whole series of that of like, especially tailored towards pro wrestlers, like don't do this exercise that everyone kind of like wants you to do or you think you need to do. Instead, here's the alternative. When I have time, I, I put the videos out. I, I uh, address the, with the deadlifts. I address the bridges. I, I address full sit-ups, things like that. I can do the video, I do it. Uh, again, I've, I've consulted countless wrestlers on how to change up their routine to make it a lot safer. And, uh, you know, morph their workouts to where it's a lot safer and 
where they're less likely to sustain an injury or or like a wear and tear situation from their current regimen. So uh, I do it privately and 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 I've done it for many wrestlers. Uh, whenever I, I have time, I, I try to do a video and get out there to help help the people as well. Okay, I, I bring this because it's actually like one of my wife's favorite like YouTube channels is Bob and Brad, the most famous uh, physical therapists on the internet in their own opinion, mm -hmm. of course. So yeah. I just like, there's there's a niche for it. <laughs> like everything else in life, there's a niche for it. Who have um, they beaten? Who have they beaten? You know, you know, honestly, I don't know. I, I haven't asked her because uh, I don't pay much attention to the, the videos. Though, no, I'm kidding. I'm not sure that's just one of, of these. I that's a, a wrestling thing we say about, oh, oh the so-and-so is great. Oh yeah, Who, who's he beaten? And it's just one of, it's one of those stupid things we say to each other. I, I think I think it's Brad, Brad of the duo, like always, like qu like quantifies the the you know the most famous physical therapist on the internet, and then he bookends it with, in our own personal opinion, of course. So he tries to get out of it. Um, but okay, we've we've uh, talked for, you know, we've run the full gamut. We've talked for you know a little over an hour. I want to end on a little bit of levity and if you don't actually remember this, it's fine, but I'm a nerd and this popped me when I first watched it. Uh like within the last calendar year, I watched some World Wrestling All-Stars. Uh yep. for those of you not not in the know, it was one of, it was a pre-TNA like offshoot trying to kind of get back into, you know, the global wrestling market and Crowbar was a part of this here roster. Um, I believe it was Inception. At least that's what I scribbled down. Um, but there was a battle royal, and everyone and their mother was in it. Uh, so, like, a camera guy was in it. Uh, fake yeah. uh, Bonanza pajamas. Jeremy Borash was doing commentaries. Yeah, yeah it, it was out there. After Jeremy Borash came in to participate in the match, you hopped on commentary and did, we'll call it a stereotypical Gordon Soley impression yes. for the entire thing. What was the impetus for doing that? That actually have happened the first time in uh in WCW. There uh I believe David Flair was wrestling the artist formerly known as Prince Ikea. And they said backstage, go out there and just do something, maybe Gordon and Soli. And I went out there and <laughs> I did it one time. It was ridiculously stupid and fun. And uh for, for like this little following the people at that time the people just loved it and i just started doing it that's mm -hmm. all it is another I, I i vividly remember doing it but it was just uh a matter of fact this is what you should do it would be really funny and that was it <laughs> i mean i popped for it the wife hated it she, yeah, she was yeah. thoroughly annoyed with all the but but i you know i was also quasi raised on gordon solely so i got sure. it and it was slightly less annoying to me uh but i was just wanted to throw that out there just for my own entertainment. So we're going to wind things down. Thank you for coming on. Uh, is there anything you, you want to promote or direct people to online, whether it's merch, upcoming events? I really don't have, I really exist only on Twitter. I have an Instagram account that I never use just because I, I just don't have time uh, with work and family. Like I often say, I, I think I'm doing great in, in ring right now. I'm doing better work than, 20, 25 years ago, and my life is so much busier. But the hardest part of it is balancing uh, kids and family and, and events and the business and uh, and all this stuff. And uh, so it's just really Twitter right now, at WCW Crowbar. And uh, 
I'm on and off there. If 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 I don't respond to something right away, it's just because I literally post and I go back to work, or I post and I'm driving my son or daughter somewhere, or I post and I'm, so it's uh, I'm I'm on and off, but I try my best to interact and and respond when I can. And he's not BSing. Like this is how like we've conversed. I, it's been I don't know at least a year, but I just made a random like comment about your appearance in MLW and because Joey Styles couldn't seem to figure out what name he wanted to use for you. Yes. And then like all of a sudden, like I didn't expect like any response. I was just being an idiot on the internet as per yeah. usual. And like all of a sudden, like really, like I didn't care what they called me because I was just happy to be there. I'm like, sweet. Yep. He yeah. responded. So there you have it. You know, if you want to, you know, you should totally follow Crowbar online. He he's great. A lot of insight, and plus the you know with the timeless character work is great as well. But he but he does offer a lot of insight to things of the past and quote tweets things, and it's great. Uh, you know, thank you for coming on. I've been a big thank you, man. forever. I think I've done a pretty good job of avoiding a lot of the WCW stuff. So we're, we're covering other things than <laughs> the, the same five questions you and yes. every other wrestler probably get uh you know but thank you again and there you have it it was really great to have crowbar on the show uh really cool dude and you know not just blowing smoke up his behind or even yours uh he's very active on social media and does try to respond to everybody um with questions about his career his take on whatever wrestling clips you want to show him uh etc 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 um and if you're a young wrestler who happens to be on a show with him like pick that man's brain like especially uh with his background in physical therapy like i think uh that would just help like help out anybody to be frank but thank you all for listening i had a great time talking to crowbar i hope you guys had a great time listening to uh, me pick his brain for the last hour uh stay tuned for the plugs and the best ways to help support this here program and i'll see you guys well at the normal time this coming week MLW Confusion is a weekly podcast that is written and performed by Rob Kammer and hosted by Spotify for podcasters. MLW Confusion is part of the Urban Wrestling Network. You can check out the Underground Rundown on YouTube at Urban Wrestling NW. The background music for this section is Ruined My Day, performed by Alan Schroeder. If you enjoyed this podcast and like to support, please like, subscribe, and tell your friends, family, and enemies. Leaving a review is also helpful, because word-of-mouth advertisement is very important for small podcasts. My social media links can be found in the descriptor below, but the Twitter and Instagram are at the Nova of Cass. That's T-H-E-N-O-V-A-O-F-C-A-S-S, and MLW Confusion can be found on Facebook at MLW Confusion, all one word. If you'd like to support monetarily and help upgrade my equipment, please check out my virtual tip jar at ko-fi.com slash Casanova. That's C-A-S-S-O-N-O-V-A. If you prefer more bang for your buck, go to patreon.com slash Casanova. For as little as $1, Patreon backers get access to the podcast early and without those pesky ads, plus other exclusive content. So join the crew that is headed up by Keith Wynn and Alan Schroeder and check it out. You can also find t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise at the Confusion Podcast store on Teespring. You can find that link below as well. 
For all business inquiries such as ads, sponsorship, and other voiceover work, please email at rzcammer at comcast.net. Camera is spelled K-A-M-E-R-E-R. Thank you all for listening.